Welcome to Together, Sharing This Resurrection Life. This is a podcast with sermon series for our small group discussion. After you have your small group discussion, be sure to check out the show notes and use that link in the show notes to submit your attendance and any questions to me, Pastor Haig, and I'll follow up with you personally. Now, come join this resurrection life together. This particular sermon series is from Pastor Jonathan Borman at Peace in Aiken, South Carolina. Be sure to check out the show notes, and this sermon series is entitled Master Money, Learning with Jesus to Handle Money Before Money Handles You. Like at this time, you can turn over your service cards and you'll find a place where you can take notes during the sermon. We are, as I mentioned earlier, we're starting a new sermon series today on the teachings of Jesus. I hope that you are coming to Jesus and his word just expectant and hopeful. Jesus, oh, he's your savior. And when he talks to you, he's going he's gonna to perform saving work in your life. And that's going to happen today. We're going to hear from Jesus right now. It's our tradition here at Peace to rise, to honor the life and the work of Jesus. Please do that. This is his word spoken into your life from Luke chapter 16. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do. So that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? 1,000 bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And you have not been... And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others. But God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. This is God's word. Go ahead and be seated. We're going to do it, y'all. We're going to dive right into this one. We have to do it. This is the teaching of Jesus. We 
we should do it too because this parable, it sits on what we should acknowledge is, if it was a Monopoly board, Park Avenue. This is pretty prime real estate in Luke. The parable that, that comes before this parable is the prodigal son. We handled that parable earlier this summer. The parable that comes right after this parable is the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. We're going to handle that next week. Those parables are very, very, very big deals. This is Park Avenue. So we can look at this little parable and we can stare at it and say, you know, this is a pretty dilapidated looking house for Park Avenue. It really doesn't belong. Or we can look at it and we can say, maybe Luke got it right. Maybe this parable really does belong. Now, I'm saying this, and you're probably guessing, and I'm going to tell you this right now, that I believe the latter. It really does belong. And I say that to you, acknowledging that that viewpoint comes with some problems, like this one. Everybody says that this parable of all of Jesus' parables is the most difficult one to interpret of all. It is a difficult, difficult parable, which is why I'm going to approach it very humbly as I do interpret it for you. Secondly, this parable really does seem to have moral problems with it. It really does seem like there's a guy who steals from his Lord and then gets commended for it. Now, I remember when I stared at these problems for myself the first time. It was back in college, actually. I went to a Bible college. And I remember I was just reading Luke for myself one night. And I remember reading this parable. And I'm staring at it going, I have no idea what this thing means. And it was even worse than that. I remember thinking to myself, the part of it that I think I do understand, I really don't want to understand because it looks like it's immoral. And so I started running around like, do you know what this parable means? Do you know what this parable Can you help me understand this parable? See, it turns out, I didn't know this at the time, but it turns out that just about everybody has trouble with this parable. Unbelievers have problems with this parable. As you know, that's quite famously the last emperor, last non-Christian emperor of the Roman Empire. The guy went down in history, don't let this happen to you, the guy went down in history named Julian the Apostate. He very famously used this parable to try to prove that Christianity is an inferior religion and that Jesus is an inferior teacher. So unbelievers have had problems with this parable. And believers have had problems with the parable too. One of the most important church fathers, a guy by the name of Augustine, was forced to say as a result of this parable, this statement. He said to his church, some, by bad understanding of this, plunder the good of others and bestow some of that upon the poor. He says, I would not that you should so understand it. Give only of your righteous labors. Give out of that which you possess rightfully. In other words, Augustine was saying, you guys, you don't get to play Robin Hood. This is not how it works. The meaning of this parable is not that it's okay to steal from the rich and give it to the poor. You only give out of that which you rightfully possess. So believers have had problems with this parable too. 
Now, some people have looked at these problems and they've dealt with these problems by not dealing with these problems. <laughs> In other words, what they've done is they've looked at this parable and basically they have swept all of the difficult parts of the parable under the rug. We're not going to talk about them. <laughs> I like to call this approach to the parable the Machiavellian approach to the parable. Remember that guy in history class? Machiavelli was the guy who said the end justifies the means. So we just, we don't focus on how we got there. We just focused on where we get. And so what they do is they kind of ignore the immoral part of the parable, what seems to be immoral, and they pour into instead the moral of the parable, which by the way is in verse 9. Maybe you caught it. This is what Jesus taught. Here's the moral of the parable. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, I got to tell you, this approach to the parable has been very, very helpful for Christians. It's been very, very helpful to me. I'll admit that to you. And in fact, it makes you stop, doesn't it? It makes you stop and it makes you think about how you live, you use money now. And it makes you get a little bit sad about this. Jesus said this about his followers. He said, the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of the light. In fact, he's saying, my followers are a little bit dumber, can I say that in church, than the people who don't follow me, who don't follow me. Which is, of course, when you think about this financially, is of course true. People on Wall Street are way smarter than us. You know, they make money count. Those people know how to make money count, right? They make pennies and they turn them into 100 bucks. Those people don't waste a penny. They know how to use money. But Christians, we can be kind of boneheaded about it. You know, we, we realize, Christians get this, we get everything rusts and dies in this life. You don't get to keep it. We get that. We get that. We're believers. We get that. We understand that the only way that you can use your money and make it last eternally is like this. The only way money has eternal value is to invest it in God's word and in people. This is how you make your investments count. The people on Wall Street are taking their, their pennies and they're making a hundred bucks. Christians are blowing their wallets on this life. Meanwhile, eternity yawns. See, that kind of approach to this parable is very helpful. It helps you think about what Jesus is trying to get you towards. How to make good, smart investments in this life. So, you can pour into the moral of the story. But, that still doesn't help you deal with what seems like is the immoral part of the story. So, here's what I suggest. Let's start over. Let's just start over. Let's start from the very beginning of the parable and start over. What do we have? We got a rich guy. A very, very rich estate owner. We've got a, his wealth that's getting divvied up. Actually in a bad way, right? Like, not a good way. Does it remind you of the prodigal son? It's a rich guy. 
scoundrel, property's getting divided. Same thing, right? Same exact setup. The only difference is this time it's not a son who's messing up the distribution of the, the guy's property. This time it's a manager. Now, it turns out that the manager, he must have had his hand in the honeypot. You know what I mean? He's embezzling funds. He's cooking the books. That's what's going on here. And he gets caught. Word gets back to the Lord. And the Lord comes and confronts him about it. And this is what he says. He says, this is how, give an account, you know? Because you cannot be manager anymore. In other words, get the books together. I'm going to fire you in just a second after you're done getting the books together. All right? And so you got this guy. And what's interesting about it is the guy doesn't give a defense. Right? He, he doesn't, you know, I, I wasn't, Lord, Master, I wasn't cooking the books. You know, I didn't have my hands in the honeypot. I, I didn't. The guy's guilty as sin. He got caught, and he knew it. And so he stops. He's thinking about this, right? He's, he's processing, well, okay, you know, this Lord, I'm caught. What am I going to do? He's thinking about this, and he starts realizing something. He's thinking about it. He's going, you know what? You know what? The master, my Lord, he didn't even fire me yet. It's a weird thing, right? He still got his job, still able to do deals and stuff. Didn't fire him on the spot. Going to fire him, didn't fire him yet. He didn't shame him on Twitter either, you know? None of that. Nobody else found out about it, you know? He could go out and start cutting deals. Didn't shame him on Twitter. Didn't perp walk him. We did that with Bernie Madoff, remember that? Didn't perp walk him. Didn't haul him before a judge either. Weird thing, right? Doesn't haul him before a judge. Could have, probably should have. Taken him before a judge, thrown him in jail, thrown away the key to, should have done it, didn't do it. He's thinking about this. He's going, you know what? My Lord is so merciful. He doesn't want to shame me. He has to take away my job. I'm no good at it. I'm a cheater. He doesn't want to hurt me, though. He wants to be merciful. What am I going to do now? You know, what am I going to do? Honestly, what am I going to do? Am I going to start digging? No, I can't do that. I'm way too weak for that. I'm going to bag, you know. I'm going to bag. No, I'm not going to do that. Too shame to do that. Here's what I'll do. I will go out and to these fellow debtors and I will start cutting their debts. And that's what he did. It was a massive amount of money that he cut. Maybe you noticed that. 500 denarii was the value, which would have been 500 days of work. It's a massive amount of money. Because then, when I get kicked out of this house, I'll get welcomed into that one. And that's the story. I want to make two observations about it. Ready? One, the guy's relationship to money fundamentally changed. This is a big deal. Jesus said it was a big deal. He said it's got to be true for us too. He said this, right? You cannot serve both God and money. He's saying we 
have got to get into a fundamentally different relationship with money. It's got to change. This guy's relationship with money fundamentally changed. How did it change? Well, he goes from embezzling money for himself (laughs) to using money for other people. He goes from using his Lord's wealth to try to enjoy his own life to using money to help other people enjoy theirs. You see it? He stops using money, in other words, in service of himself. Instead, he starts using money in service to others. He got into a fundamentally different relationship with money. That brings me to my second point. How did that happen? Well, he stared jail in the face, and he got off scot-free. He began to understand the Lord's mercy. This entirely changed his relationship to money, right? Before he was embezzling, i got to have this money. This money's going to make me happy. Money's going to help me enjoy my life. He, he believed that so thoroughly that he was willing to steal it from other people. And afterwards, he starts giving money away. What changed him? He stared jail in the face. And when he stared jail in the face, he said, you know what? I can't bank on money anymore. Money is not going to do it. And instead, he started banking on his Lord. Now, think about it. What made him think that he could go out and cut debts that he had no business cutting? He was banking on his Lord. He knew that his Lord was merciful. He he knew that his Lord would want to be known in the community as merciful. There was no way, there was no way that the Lord was going to go out and say, you know what, you know what? That, my, my manager, really sorry, he went rogue, you still have to pay. Not going to happen. That Lord knew, that man knew that his Lord would keep those cut debts in force. He wanted to be known as a merciful Lord, and that's what happened with the manager. See, the manager learned to bank on his Lord. Now I get it. That is a lot of Bible teaching, right? That is, that is some dense stuff. But I think you can handle it, and Jesus thinks you can handle it too. In fact, uh, let me say this. I, I, I think Jesus knows that only a believer will get this story. Now, that's not true with the prodigal son. We, we looked at the prodigal son. The prodigal son was actually designed and sent for unbelievers. It was an invitation for them to come and start following Jesus. That is not true of this parable. This parable very uniquely is told, did you know this? Only to Christians. Only a Christian can get this parable. Jesus only told it to his disciples. Only a Christian can get this. Only a Christian is going to understand, you know, that the rich guy, that's God. He owns everything. We don't own it. We're just stewards, just managers. 
Only Christians are going to get that. Unbelievers are going to say this. They're going to say, you know what? I earned it. I deserved it. I can do whatever I want with it. <laughs> Only a Christian can say, you know what? He, God gave me my smarts. He gave me my ability. He gave me my path in life, my success, my everything. This isn't mine. This is God's. More than that, more than that, only a Christian is going to be able to admit, I have mishandled the funds. Sorry, God. <laughs> I had my hand in the honeypot sometimes. <laughs> right? I, I, didn't, I didn't distribute the money like I was supposed to sometimes. God, I've, I've been like Ebenezer Scrooge. It's mine. It's all mine, you know? I'm so sorry, God. I really think only Christians can get that. We live in this culture, isn't it true, that glorifies consumption. It's normal in America. We live in these massive houses, way too big for us. We don't need all this house. We don't need these nice cars. We don't need all this stuff. We can share way, way more than we actually do. Only Christians are willing to admit that. Only Christians willing to say, you know what, you know what, God gave me this wealth, not just so I can enjoy it, but so other people can too. Sorry, God. I've had my hand in the honeypot. You know, when something, you know, only Christians will be able to say, you know what, you know, it's so bad for me, I've been so bad at this, that, you know what, I deserve to get fired, I'm no good at this job, you know. Only a Christian can admit that. God should look at me and he should perp walk me in front of everybody. I've been shared. I've been selfish. He should, he should throw me in jail and throw away the key. Only a Christian can admit that. Only a Christian can look at it and understand exactly what it means when you get fired from God's house. You know what that means, right? It means you die. That's what this is about. It's important that we get that, I think. It's heavy stuff, right? You know that, that story called A Christmas Tale, the one about Ebenezer Scrooge? You know when he, the light bulb finally goes on for him? Boom. You know what it was? When the ghost of Christmas future showed him he was going to die. Light bulb went on. There's lots of stories like this. Can I, one more. Alfred Nobel. You know that guy? Nobel Peace Prize. You know this guy? True story. Alfred Nobel. He, uh, he saw his own death. Did you know this? <laughs> Crazy story. Uh, Alfred Nobel, if you don't know this, he famously was the inventor of a way to stabilize nitroglycerin. He was the inventor of dynamite. Poor guy. You know, he thought he was going to heal the world. He didn't understand human nature. We use it to make rockets and, and missiles and bombs. He didn't know it, but he was going to become the father, basically, of modern warfare. Poor guy, right? Made gobs of money on killing people, actually. When... Uh, a false news report went out, I guess word went out wrongly that he had died. Uh, the, there was a newspaper in, in Paris that printed his obituary. 
And the guy read his own obituary. Crazy thing. I want to read you the first line of it. It read this. Dr. Alfred Nobel, who became rich by finding ways to kill more people faster than ever before, died yesterday. Changed his life. There's something about staring at your ultimate demise that sees you, that helps you see what money can never do for you. Now, if that lands on your heart and convicts you just a little bit, then then stay with me right now. Because I want to take you to the heart and the core of this parable. Can I show you something that's true about your own life? It's completely obvious, actually. You haven't been fired yet. You're still alive. Oh, it's amazing if you think about it. He could have outed you on Twitter. He could have perped walked you. He could have hauled you before a judge. He could have thrown you in prison and then tossed away the key. You're still here. Your Lord is so merciful. He is so merciful. Now, some people, they'll come to this parable and say, you know what, you know what? It's still, you're still not dealing with the immoral part of it. You're still not dealing with it. And you see, there's, that's, there's, a, there's a truth in that, actually, right? There's, there's sort of this hanging idea. Of what's, who's actually going to pay all the debts in here? What's going to be done with all this stuff? See, one of the, th- the things you have to understand is you have to look at who is actually teaching this parable. Only Jesus can teach this parable. Why can only Jesus teach the parable? Because Jesus knows that he is going to be the one to come and pay the debts. He paid the debts, y'all. See the hand in the honeypot, the bad ledger, the embezzlement, all of it. What do you think Jesus was doing on the cross? He paid all of your debts. He took his quill and he dipped it into his own blood and he wrote in the ledger, paid in full. I'm paying the debts, he said. I love what the book of Colossians says. It says, Christ forgave us all our sins. Look at this line, having canceled the charge of legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Think about it. Let me translate this for you. God, through the book, your book at Jesus, he perp walked him. He shamed him. He put Jesus on the cross to deal with all of our legal indebtedness. Jesus took care of our relationship with God. And God's not going back on that. See, when debts get cut, he doesn't go back on that. The Lord wants to be 
known as a merciful Lord. He's not going to go back on that. Do you hear what I'm saying? You know what today is? It's your aha moment. You know, it's your new lease on life. It's your chance to say, you know what? You know what? I, I don't need to bank on money anymore. I don't need money to be happy, to be secure, to be significant anymore. I can bank on the Lord. The Lord's not going to let me go down. The Lord's going to forgive me. The Lord's going to give me an eternity with him. I'm going to be welcomed in eternal dwellings. Well, all you got to do is start asking yourself some questions about that right now. What are you going to do then? You're going to dig? <laughs> You're going to dig? Why would you dig? Jesus already went down in the grave for you so that you don't have to. You're going to dig? No, you're not going to dig. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to beg? You're going to beg? Is that how you're going to do it? God, please let me beg. Is that going to work? No, that's not going to work. Jesus honored you with his life and his death. Claim it on faith. Bank on your Lord. What are you going to do then? Well, Jesus has a suggestion. Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed in eternal dwellings. The light bulb went on for Ebenezer Scrooge, right? Do you remember Tiny Tim? Alfred Nobel, Dr. Alfred Nobel, the light went on for him too. He didn't want to be known as a mass killer after he died. He wanted to be known as a peace bringer. So he created the Nobel Peace Prize. He's pretty successful, right? I think we'd have to say. See the sons of darkness. They know how to use their money well. Let's be smarter. The highest use of money is not to try to get people to remember you well here. According to Jesus, the highest use of money is to get people to greet you well there. So you don't have to worry about this life. You don't have to worry about this one. Your debts have been brought to zero with God. Your life is secure. You are going to enter eternal dwellings. The only question is, who's going to meet you there when you do? There's a, there's a painting. We have it at home. It's just a print. It's a beautiful painting of... Uh, that moment this artist envisions when you come home to eternal dwellings. It's a beautiful painting. You can't see the person, I imagine, it's because the artist wants you to envision yourself. But what you see is God the Father there surrounding the whole scene with his hands. You see God the Spirit there hovering as a dove, and you see Jesus taking this person into his arms, and it's beautiful. I don't know how quite to capture what the artist did with Jesus' face. It's like perfect, though. There's this, this look of longing fulfilled. 
relief, joy, love, strength. It's all written there on Jesus' face. This welcome into eternal dwellings. I think, having thought about Jesus' parable, though, that the painting's incomplete. There is no question that through faith in Jesus, we will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. The question is, how many more will be there too? With fist bumps and hugs and love and greetings for you. Friends are expensive, y'all. They're expensive. Churches are expensive. Invest your pennies wisely. You're going to be just fine. You'll be welcomed through faith in Jesus into eternal dwellings. Go today and ask yourself this question. What am I going to do now about that? Let's pray. Father, through your son Jesus, you have given us just the ultimate teacher, our Savior, and our Lord. And he's given us this stunning teaching today. We ask that you send your spirit to help us take in this parable. Just how right that we've been made through Jesus to you, God. Help us live in light of that. Help us realize that that money's highest use is, is to have friends, spiritual friends, where we can talk about Jesus. Churches where the gospel goes out. Make us people who are shrewd, Lord, and know how to invest wisely. I pray this in Jesus' great name. Amen. 